listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 R. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast with Sarah Jeff and Geraldine for the week Monday, April 4 to April 8. Big highlights this week. Uh, I wanted the, the, one of the highlights is I talked about when I got to go to the Essendon Football Club's chairman's lunch. Got to sit next to a very special man. Um, yeah, yeah, this is Kevin Sheedy. Uh, and also we had Guy Montgomery, New Zealand comic, come in and chat to us about his show at the Comedy Festival. On Weird Science, Dr. Jen talked about what makes some voices charismatic and some voices annoying. Talking like this makes them charismatic. <laughs> Talking like this makes them annoying. <laughs> now you don't have to listen to it because that's, <laughs> that, that's the gist of it. And we talked about bad job interviews. I just want to talk about footy for a little bit. What are you looking at? I'm obsessing about my microphone, oh, which right. is flopping Sorry. all over the place again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so on. Friday night. I think it's unfair that this morning you want to talk about football, but that's okay. Well, wait for it. I know it's a bit heartbreaking for you because your team lost in the dying minutes of the game. Yeah, and not just lost in the dying minutes of the game, lost to Collingwood. Yeah, that is, hurts. It hurts. That mm. hurts a lot. I understand that. I'm really... I. I thought you had it in the back. I was watching it at the pub and I was texting you, oh, making, yeah. making sure you were okay. So I might even say that Geraldine jinxed Tigers. <laughs> Do you know what? Part of me thinks I'd, I kind of I might agree with you, and I don't. I didn't mean to be like that, but I just found that I, you know, because I'd send it, I'd send a text to you, and then Colin would get a goal, and then they'd get in front, and I went, oh, I better not text. And then in the like, there was only like a minute and a half to go, and I'm like, oh, okay, you've. I think you'll be safe. And then I sent you a text and I'm like, I don't know if I should. And I'm like, oh, who cares? We'll have something to talk about if it does happen that way. <laughs> you should head. She sends me a text with a minute and a half to go that we're like three goals up and she goes, you got it in the bag. But this thing, Richmond Tigers, it's never in the bag. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, she's jinxed us. And then like the most spectacular finishing to a football game of the year, two, two rounds in, occurs where there's a goal kicked in the dying seconds and we lose, Try sadly and so dramatically. So you're reading these texts somewhat sarcastically then? No, no, she was being serious. Yeah, like they were, yeah. she, she was sending them and then after she sent them, everything would go wrong. Oh. Yeah. So then when we lost, I was like, Geraldine it was jinxed my us. Fault. Yeah. It was my fault. Mm. Uh, anyway... <laughs> My apologies for that. No worries. But you had a better weekend. Well, yes. So here's the thing. Um, Lawrence Mooney is a a friend of mine and a fellow Bomber supporter. And I had been talking to him. um, Every time we'd catch up, you know, we'd talk about the Bomber. And I'd on many occasions have said to him, I don't know if I can do it this season. I don't know if I can keep this up because I've been hurt too many times and I... I don't know where I st- like my morals stand with the club and what they've done. Um, and he went, and I saw him last week on Thursday, and he went, right, you're coming with me to the chairman's lunch. You're going to be my plus one at the chairman's now, lunch. Now, what is a chairman's yeah. lunch for those that don't know? I, well, I, I, didn't I, know. I had no <laughs> idea what a chairman's lunch is. I didn't know either. I just went, oh, I heard the word lunch and went, I'm in. Uh, it's just a... A, a lunch before the game, but with it's the a, chairman. with the champ with the Essendon Football Club. So there's lots of it was, it was pretty much there was a lot of corporate sponsors. It was a I had to wear get dressed up. It was suit and tie affair. Um, so and lots of people, you know, important people. But and Mooney said to me, "Meet me at Fed Square at midday." I'm like, "Okay, cool, no worries." And then. 
but I didn't realise that they were having that. The fans were doing the walk from Fed oh, Square. Well, that is the point of meeting at Fed Square, no? Yeah, no, no. It was an official yeah. support of the players that have been out. Yeah. So, what's the walk? It, it literally it just so a walk. walk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The so support Essendon supporters well, they just decided. Walk around Fed Square. Yeah. Well, no, they walked to the MCG. So uh. that the supporters of Essendon who are a bit sad that their club have you know, done what they've done, decided to show their support by all meeting at Federation Square and then slowly walk into the MCG like a funeral procession. It, okay. And that's exactly what it felt like. It's, <laughs> they had, yeah, yeah, they had banners and stuff and it went, it left at 12.34. Were they all going, Jesus, <laughs> remember <laughs> me? <laughs> and, uh, they left at 12.34. So there's 12 players, 12 current players that are out and there's 34 players all together. So at 12.34... They left, and I it was I get there, and um, Mooney's there, and he goes, and then there's a like a media person from the Essendon Football Club, and they come and go, oh, Jordan, thank you so much for being here. It's so here's a scarf, can you put this on, and we'll get you guys to stand up the front, so we, they want you to see be seen on cameras because we're there as you know. Well, Mooney was well, you're also a celebrity. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. And you know who I met? We get up the front. They'll go. We'll get you up the front because Sam Newman's here, awesome. and we'll get you. I met no. Sam Newman. I know, and he is just like what you'd expect him to be. I could imagine. A little kid came up and asked for an autograph, and he said no. Anyway, oh. I know. I, said, I can't. I don't have time. I've got to try to explain to a five-year-old that you can't. I'm like, you do. You can make it. You can. What are you got to do, mate? Just sign. He goes, I'll post for a photo, but oh, I don't have time to sign autographs and stuff. And it's like she doesn't get what. Just this confused five little girl, just little face. And anyway, she walks away. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but for, for me, as a lifetime essence support, and then the Paul Salmon do you, bought the fish. Yeah, the fish. The fish came over. I know Jeff's just shaking his head. I don't understand what you're <laughs> oh, talking about. But are you in are, Fed Square at this moment or are you in the dinner? No, no, no. Fed Square, like we're lining up along the, um, near Bering Mar, we're walking along to the G, right? Oh, okay. So to the dinner. Oh, right. So the dinner. To the dinner. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, there was almost 10,000 people that did this walk. Oh, I thought it was like 100. I didn't realise that. Yeah, there was nearly 10,000 people, they said. Um, anyway, and Kevin Sheedy was there. Sheeds. Oh, then you you appreciate Kevin Sheedy. Oh, yeah, because... I think any, anyone can appreciate Kevin Sheedy except for Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, anyway, we're walking... Along, we did the walk and that was lovely. Um, and then, then we get taken upstairs to go to this lunch and walk in, and it's just you know, you know, the chairman's lunch. I don't know, it was just a fancy lunch. It's awesome. What did you eat? Um, it's salad and a little chicken. Oh. Yeah, it was, was really great. Disappointing. No, no, no. <laughs> the no, chairman's was... lunch with salad and a little no, chicken. No, no, no. It was, it was good. It was top-notch stuff. Really great. Um, and then, but we get to the table. They go, "You're on this table," and on the table, right? There's they had place cards, and there was Lawrence Mooney, Geraldine Hickey, and you know who was sitting next to me? Who? Kevin Sheedy. Get the F out. Yeah, I That is know. amazing. What I are the chances? Know. Did you lose your mind? Yeah, I nearly... Well, did I cry? Mate, no, <laughs> I almost did. Are you that important in the world, slash world of football, that they you treated get seated? Us. Do you know who else is on that table? Who? Nick Giannopoulos. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
you, the wog boy in Sheeds. Yes, all oh on the same God. table. So our table was Sheeds, like a couple of people from the S- like high up people of the Essendon Football Club, and Lawrence, myself, and Nick Giannopoulos and his partner. That would have been the funniest table in the whole room. Oh my God, it was. Sheets doesn't shut up. Like, there's talks, you know, official, um, you know, Woosha gets up and says a few things and whatnot, and Sheets just sitting there going, oh, just, um, just have a good time. Who cares what happens this season? He's just like, just have a good time. And then they <laughs> announced that um, Kia were their major sponsors, so they announced that they were continuing their sponsorship. It extended their thing. And she's like, yeah, yeah, good on it. Like, oh, okay, you know, anything that starts with K is a good thing. And I looked at him <laughs> and obviously he was referring to himself uh, yeah. and his name's Kevin. And I'm like, mate, I can I can think of one thing in particular that is not good that starts with a K. In fact, it starts with three K. So, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, good on you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he loved it. And then, and then someone else came up to Lawrence and I and said, oh, do you, would you like to come with us now? And um, we'll take you down to the to the rooms. I sat in the rooms before they went out. And no then, way. And, then, and you can't have phones in there, so I couldn't take photos I or anything. I wasted on you. I, but anyway. No. What do you mean? <laughs> Just the level of appreciation. Wasted? <laughs> you don't think I appreciated it? I was losing my mind. I do. No, I'm joking. And then, um, oh, you were being like, yeah, yeah, right, sorry. And then um, we were in the rooms, like, oh, just watching them warm up and stuff. And and then they. What took are you us doing out. when they warm up? What do you just stare at them? Oh, it's weird. That's what I mean. Yeah, like, it's you really like, weird. Just, oh, and we're be- <laughs> and we're sitting and we're behind a cage. It's oh really no! Weird. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, get on your balls. <laughs> and it's just Mooney and I. Oh my god. <laughs> So, because I, because I'm like, the other people come in like, yeah, normally, you know, there's a few, but no one else came. It was just us, <laughs> sit, sit, like, sitting on this little step, just going, oh, yeah, good one, boys. Uh, have a great day. Did any of them acknowledge you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> just, and then we, um, that's all right, because oh, there sorry. is more. Because oh, then wait, we wait. got to um, walk out to the race and then, um, was st- I stood on the sideline as they ran, came out and to run through the banner. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Did you pat them on the butt when they ran past? No. Two f- they were on the other side, but I was in in the race with them. Wow. Yeah. You literally had the best weekend out of all of us. It's up there. Except maybe Jeff doesn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. Before I became a successful comedian and radio star, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just thinking about this. I, you know, obviously I had to do a lot of uh, job interviews. I worked a lot in hospitality and the dreaded call centre work. Which oh, I, the worst. I, I just, I don't know how, it just wasn't me. I would cry every day that I went into work for those places. Oh. Um, but the job interviews were... A, funny sometimes like one of them i went in there and one of the questions was for real they said if you were a fruit <laughs> what type of fruit would you be oh my god i had a friend that was asked liberace <laughs> I, was gonna- <laughs> I had i had a friend who was asked if she was could be any type of meat what type of meat would she be by three male three you male interviewers as well it's just kind of like <laughs> Yeah, maybe I don't want to work yeah. here after all. 
What do you answer to that? I don't know. I don't know. What's your worst interview experience? Have you had a really terrible one where you've just been like, oh. There was that one. And this is like an interview where they said, oh, it's going to be a a group interview. There's going to be a big group interview. And there was like four people there. And they they even got chairs out for other people. They go, oh, I guess no one's – these other people aren't coming and whatnot. And then I found out later, like I got the job. And then I found out later that that was a deliberate thing. (sighs) It's like, why? why? What games to, are you playing? That is so weird. What, isn't to it? make you feel like it's really cutthroat, everyone wants to be here or something? Yeah, I don't know what they were trying to do, just to kind of put us off a little bit for some. I was just like, this is weird. And that was the same interview where they went, if you were a type of fruit, I'm like, oh, this is dumb. The group interviews are terrible too. I've only ever had to do that once, but it was like, I forget what it was. might have even been a call centre job. It was mm. one of those two. It's always call centre jobs. Yeah, they love a group interview. <laughs> you kind of think, yeah, I don't really want this job anyway. But that sort of thing, we've all got to be in the room and they give you like tasks where on the one sort of hand, you've kind of got to cooperate with each other to show you can work collectively. But at the same time, everyone's sort of, everyone knows oh, you're yeah. competing against each other. It's kind of like performing monkeys. Like everyone's trying to be like, oh, me, me, me. You know, yeah. it's a bit strange. I, I went through this period where I went through for a lot of interviews after I finished uni, I went and travelled for a few months and then came back and, like, quit my job. Like, I was like, I'll like, quit my job. I'm just going to get a job. I'm free and, you know, a free woman even. And I... Uh- <laughs> And I was, yeah, it was a real mistake. So I came back and I had to go for all these kind of like crappy, you know, whatever. Like they were fine, just like jobs that like I knew I couldn't get a good job really soon after travelling and have, no, you know, no real experience other than university degree, uh, which apparently doesn't get you a job very easily. And it was kind of like turning up to restaurants early morning uh, and them saying, come in for an interview at 7am and going, oh, actually, we're just going to get you on the floor for an hour and a half if you wouldn't mind going on the floor for an hour and a half. And so there was no interview. They'd just use you for an hour and a half and they'd go, oh, you know, all right, thanks for that kind of thing. We'll get back to you. And it's like, you just use me to yeah. work for an hour it's and totally a half. Totally illegal. Totally mm. so illegal. And there's one time I went to work uh, for a job interview at a bar. Uh, it was in kind of like South Melbourne. And it was middle of the day and it ended up being like a super club. And I didn't realise, and you guys know me, like I'm not really the kind of... Person. Super club person. I'm not really super club kind of person. And I, and I got there and I was like, wow, this is like a super club. This is not what I expected. And there was this man sitting on a couch in this massive like three-story kind of super club type place. I don't know. Super club's probably not the right term. Yeah, but, um, I've never heard the term super look, club, but I was, can imagine It was a bar about. with lots of levels, you yes. know. And it was this man sitting there in like a dressing gown, like a velvet dressing gown oh. and some kind of weird outfit. And he had a chihuahua with him that had... Oh, that was, sorry? No. A what? Uh, a chihuahua. A sh- uh, with him that had um, like a dyed hair like, like had like dyed hair and it had little booty things on and i was like serious what is, what <laughs> seriously kind of like a what you I, playboy mansion i don't know okay right i know right and i was like ah this is i didn't really read about this place really well it was just like an online ad that i'd gone for and then i when i sat down and he started interviewing me he obviously i was still with the with the, the, the little the little chihuahua he he was interviewing me, and obviously I he I wasn't what he was expecting either. I think he was expecting a buxom blonde, or I don't yes. know. But I didn't look like the kind of girl that should work at this bar. And as he was interviewing me, the chihuahua jumped off the couch and started grabbing my <laughs> like grabbing my jeans. Like I was going, and I was biting on my jeans, and I was like, I, what, what do I do? Like what? I, and he didn't he didn't tell the chihuahua off. He was just like. Mm, and kept interviewing me, and I just sat there while he asked me questions, letting this chihuahua bite at my jeans. He sounds like sounds like a villain from a James Bond movie. <laughs> it was just so weird, and I was like, "What do I do? I don't want to do the wrong thing." And I really needed a job, but then I was like, halfway during this, I was like, "Really, the man with the chihuahua is not going to employ you anyway." <laughs> 
You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Guy Montgomery is a comedian, improviser and screenwriter, half of the international smash podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time. His show at the Melbourne International Comedy <laughs> Festival is called Guy Mont Comedy. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hey, thank you so much. It is a joy to be here. <laughs> now, I don't know if there's a competition for the best title at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, but Guy Mont Comedy must come pretty close. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is very flattering. And I thank you. It is just a garbage pun. Um, but in New Zealand, I used it as a show title because it's quite a good cover all. All I have to do is be funny in myself. Yeah. No <laughs> pressure on yourself, though. No, yeah, but... Guy Montgomery, like, because people here don't know that my name's Guy Montgomery in the first instance, so it's just like, it doesn't, they just think I've probably got a weird name or I changed by deed poll. <laughs> Mr. For Comedy. Or um, as I've mentioned, you're probably best known for the Worst Idea of All Time podcast, which Geraldine has been telling me about for some time, even I think even before we knew you were doing this interview. Yeah. For those who don't know it, and I've been struggling to get my, my head around this, you and uh, your co-host continue to watch and review Grown Ups 2, the film, once a week, every week for a year. Yes. So that was... <laughs> yeah, it's... Well, obviously, when you say it back to me like that, it sounds a, a little bit weird. But... Um, it is weird, though. Yeah. You know that. Yeah, it is weird. It started just as a sort of fun thing. We'd work together. The guy I'm doing with Tim Bat is another New Zealand comic, and it was just sort of a fun thing that we could do and create and put out together because podcasting the barrier to trade is zero. Like, you could just need some microphones and an idea. And we went for it. And we sort of, it was open-ended at first. We didn't know how long we were going to go for. But after, and like, we after sort of 10 weeks, we were like, well, we've, we've got to put some parameters on this pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, so we thought a year's a nice round amount of time. And no one was listening. And then we kept, but we kept going. The logic was always like, if you watch Grown Ups 2 enough times, it will become interesting. <laughs> Uh, and yay, verily, after sort of 25, 26 weeks, uh, someone on the like someone on the internet leaked the word that these two guys were trying to do this stupid thing, and it sort of got up a full head of steam uh, from there. And since then, we've done a second season wherein we watched and reviewed Sex in the City two. Uh, every week Jesus. for a year. I went and saw that at the cinema with a friend because she's like, oh, let's go to the movies. And I'm very happy to go to the movies to see anything <laughs> because you get popcorn and a chocolate. top. So <laughs> I'm quite happy. But I went and saw that movie and got really angry that we stayed for the whole film. <laughs> like, because she just didn't want to leave. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, what? This is the worst. Let's yeah. just go. Are like, you a Sex in the City fan? Like, this, or are you, you uh, never watched it? No, I hadn't seen it. <laughs> It's, yeah, and people say it's, the show's really good. Actually, we went uh, so we just finished season two, and we went and finished it in New York City uh, at the at the Bell House Theatre, which is this beautiful sort of theatre. But as part of it, um, we went on the Sex in the City tour. Oh wow! Nice. So you go on the bus, and is there's that this still a thing. Oh, big time! Wow. Bus is full of people. This enthusiastic like. <laughs> Comedian slash celebrity tour guide slash Sex and City tour guide is at the front of the bus doing all these gags, but it's really interesting and it sort of it plays down clips of the show next to the landmarks. So it's like, here's this, you'll recognise it from this, and then you look out the window and you're like, well, we're here. And a lot of the stuff in the show, I, f I didn't feel robbed, but I was like, this looks awesome. Like this looks like a really good time. But I mean, you know, that's the prison I built myself. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was reading one of the reviews, maybe it was on your site, but uh, described it how gruelling this was. What started as simply a stupid idea quickly turned into a public mental unravelling of two grown men week by week. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's a thought experiment, I guess, because 
what happens when you watch the same thing every week is you wind up looking for like uh, coping mechanisms or life rafts, and they usually take the form of extras or just any you know anyone who's slightly out of focus because you can project your own story onto those characters. <laughs> and so you kind of, what happens is you just keep talking about them week after week until you spin them out into this huge bizarro world like that's happening parallel to the movie. So the real action's all in the background of the actual action in the film. It's, yeah, I mean, it. I said at the end of season two, I wouldn't go back and do uh, Sex and the City 2 again. That was a, I'm willing to acknowledge that was a mistake. The boys made a mistake. <laughs> so tell us more about your, your comedy festival show. Is it just a classic stand-up show? Uh, yeah. It's, well, as, oh, as classic stand-up as my stand-up is, yeah. is classic. It's quite, I'm, I quite like sort of silly, surreal flights of fancy. And a lot of it, I don't write it this way, but a lot of it sort of comes out as sketches. Yeah. So it's sort of uh, loosely woven together um, sketches and stand-up. But there's no real line between when it's all happening. I it's love sort of that. just one one extensive just flow. Just a fun hour of I'm a, comedy. I'm a fun. I'm a fun guy. If you just give me a goddamn <laughs> chance. Hey, so Jeff and I went and saw a show last night, and we did this thing where we just rocked up to Melbourne Town Hall and wanted to take the flyers off people because oh, they always wow. make. I know. You must be like Jesus, like mobs. Like mobs. <laughs> um, exactly like that. Exactly, exactly like that. Um, and anyway, so we we survived and we went and saw a show. Have you ever been the person with the flyers? So like, have we? Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that where you, you do it every night? Yeah. Oh, so you still fly out. So is yeah. it like, oh, I wasn't sure if it was like you start flying and then you kind of like work your way up away from flying. Uh, it's different for different comedians, but uh, the, like if the bigger acts who get brought out here and stuff, they just sleep all day and then go and do their show and there's like little underlings who do the flying for them. But we lowly folks who are still making our name. <laughs> like I pound the pavement two hours a day before my show. Wow. I'm like, oh, you got to come see this. And it's kind of... It's like good for you, I guess, in the sense mm. that hard work's good for you, but it also it kind of screws the power dichotomy because when you, I'm a comedian, I like to come out and be kind of aloof and be like, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, of course you're here, but if you've literally just been begging these people, <laughs> you're like, oh, this is you. This is the first year where I've paid someone else to do my flyering for me and it is... It's the greatest. Mm. I love. I can means I can just rock up to my venue, like it, I get there like an hour before, and I just kind of sit there and chill out. Whereas in previous years, it's just been, yeah, at the front of the town hall, and it's it can be so brutal as well. Coming <sighs> up to me, you go, do you want do you want to come see my show? And the people look at me and go, no, I don't want to see that. <gasps> like it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's I mean, super bad for morale before you perform. <laughs> One guy to me yesterday, he walked up to me, he like he slowed down. And I was like, oh, and he took the fly off my hands, like, yes. And then he, like, took one step, turned back at me, like, locked eyes and just dropped the flyer on the ground and kept walking. What and I was that? like, it's so specifically mean. <laughs> and yeah. in the context of my afternoon. I've had, no, Susie Youssef was flying over in Edinburgh and she had a guy that came up and took the fly in, right in front of her face and pulled out a lighter and lit it on fire right in front of her face. <laughs> this it's, just, this yeah. is, it's brutal. Psycho. But, yeah. So I got I got mine back though. So that was outside the town hall and then I went to have a blast flyering down uh, by Fed Square and is that it's called? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was flyering and then I saw that same guy who was sitting by himself like 20 metres away. So I locked eyes with him. <laughs> Instead of waving frantically like we were mates, and he's like, oh, I think you dropped this. <laughs> and ran up to him. He goes, Nah, I don't want it. And starts walking off. And he like walked 20 metres in a different direction and sat down. And I just stood where I was and waited again until he sat down and then locked eyes again and started running towards him. And he freaked out completely. 
<laughs> You're also doing another show called Snort. Yeah. So Can you tell us about that? That's an improv show. Uh, we do it every night at 9.30 at Trades Hall uh, or 8.30 on Sundays. And that's just really uh, silly fun. So we play a format called Ask Cat. So we get guest monologists, comedians from around the festival. In fact... Yes. You, you uh, the yes. the one and only Julian Hickey will be guest mono, mon, a monologist this evening. So we get a word, the guest monologist speaks for two minutes on whatever comes into their head in that word, and then six of us just improvise scenes. Great. On this the back is why I'm that. asking you about this because I didn't know what I was doing tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now now you're in the clear. Yeah. Listeners might have noticed that uh, you have um, something of a New Zealand accent. Mm. How does the New Zealand comedy scene compare to the Melbourne comedy uh, scene? It's it's good. It's growing. It's Obviously, um, the population of Melbourne is equivalent to the population of New Zealand, so it's quite... When you come over here, especially during festival season, it's so amazing to see how condensed it is and how much different stuff there is happening. But it's growing super quickly in New Zealand. Uh, but so, you spend a lot of time in America as well, don't you? Yeah. Well, I... So because of the podcast, just out of just out of nowhere, uh, became very... It does very well in America. Yeah, right. And so we sort of dine out... Tim and I dine out on that whenever we can to go and do live shows there and then sort of trade and getting other stand-up gigs while we're over there. Yeah. Do, you, do you think you've condemned yourself to a life of watching, watching uh, terrible films no, over and over again? No. It's like no one sets out to be known for watching Grown Ups 2 52 times, uh, but some have it bestowed upon them. Uh <laughs> No, we've actually, we announced we're doing one final season. I'm literally, I'm going to go and start it uh, after this interview. So we're doing one more year. We are going to be watching a movie called We Are Your Friends, which runs for 90 minutes. We were very particular about that. Oh. Is that the DJ? Yeah, exactly. Oh, Jesus. Tries to <laughs> well, you say that. I'm really excited. Uh, so, yeah, and that's, we're very specific. That's our final year because it sort of, it does become a bit. You have said that yeah. before, though. Yeah. Yeah, we have said that before. But those were teasers. This is the real thing. <laughs> and it's sort of like, you know, it gives us one year to come up with a fun, less sort of arduous thing to work on together. <laughs> And we'll be away laughing. <laughs> well, the show uh, here is called Guymon Comedy. Uh, it's running Tuesday to Saturday from 6pm and Sunday 6.15. Thanks very much, Guymon Comedy, for coming to Triple R. Thank you for having me. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. That's right. It's that time of the week when Dr. Jen comes in to lay some heavy science on us. How are you going today, Dr. Jen? Oh, I'll lay it on you. <laughs> <laughs> what shall I lay on you? Some All of it. weird science. <laughs> right, shall we start with physics or, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. An intensive course. I understand we're talking about what makes us like or dislike a voice. Yeah, well, I was thinking this is particularly pertinent for you three. No pressure, but, you know, you make your living out of your voice. But we don't think about it that much, do we? Because everyone's pretty aware of how quick we are to make or to form a first impression on someone based on what they look like. I talked about this research last year, the year before, I can't remember, but 33 milliseconds and you've already oh. judged whether you like someone. 33, what even is that amount of time? But just the merest fraction of a second, and before you've even consciously perceived that you've seen a face, you've already already said I don't like them. Yeah, Yeah, no, really, it's it's true. You've already decided that. that. So yeah, so that research is pretty well known. But then I was thinking about voice because it turns out that we're also very quick to judge somebody based on their voice. Mm, Yeah, which doesn't surprise me, given Julia Gillard. As I think about that. 
and how how many people disliked Julia Gillard's voice. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to be the one thing that any, everyone always said about her was her voice, though, her voice, though. Which is really unfair because you can change your voice to some extent and we can talk a bit later about some famous examples of people who did train really hard to cha- tra- change their voices. But essentially, you know, you have your voice and that's just how you speak. And it turns out that people will judge how attractive you are, how likeable you are, how trustworthy you are, how intelligent you are, all of these things. Oh, based so on no these, pressure, guys. These <laughs> judgy McJudgesons that are assessing your voice, is it mostly to do, like, is it that sort of classic commercial radio voice that people like, that deep, resonant John Laws sort of yeah, voice? pitch is the major factor. So most of the experiments that have been done, they've recorded people's voices saying something fairly innocuous. One of the famous studies was simply the word hello. So they recorded people <laughs> saying the word hello, played it to all these people and asked them to judge on a whole lot of scales what they thought about people. And high-pitched voices, people consistently judge as less, less truthful um, and more nervous, whereas lower-pitched voices, people are considered to be, you know, truthful and authoritative and powerful and Hello. worth believing. Yeah, that's right. Hello. And so, people, so who speaks, voices. <laughs> people who speak slowly are considered to be less persuasive, more passive, less truthful. So the, the speed at which you speak. So all of these experiments, they've, you know, digitally manipulated voices to make them higher, lower, faster, slower, all that sort of stuff. Oh. And a really tough one is that we automatically judge people who speak with an accent as being less truthful than people who are native, you know, people who are native speakers, which is really hard for people who are always operating in a language that isn't their first language. doesn't matter how authoritative they are in any other way, subconsciously they are being judged as somehow less truthful. What's the the science behind that then? What's the biological... We think just because it takes, it's harder for our brain to process. So if there's any sort of accent, it takes a little bit more brain power to process and understand what they're saying and somehow we convert that into a feeling of mistrust. And it's not at all conscious. We're not suggesting discrimination in any way. It's just your brain kind of goes, oh, that's harder to deal with. I'm not going to, you know, agree with that as much, It's pretty tough. Does that mean Mm. then there's a a definite gender bias then? I mean, if people are judging deep voices, that would tend to be male voices, I guess? Yeah, I mean, obviously within the range of female voices, you can also have a deeper voice. But yes, it's very clear from all of the research that voices like Morgan Freeman, we love so much because they are deep. So huge amounts of research has shown that women will always prefer men with deeper voices. They'll ascribe a man... So just a a deep male voice as belonging to a man who is attractive, who is masculine, who is, you know, full of authority, full of all the things that that women supposedly like, purely based on voice. Has that always been like that? Or is that just because we've grown up with listening to the dulcet tones of male voices? No, as far as we know, it's a pretty long-standing evolutionary thing. Mm. So evolutionary biologists talk about things being honest signals. Is there a way? If I, can I look at you or listen to you or is there some other quick way to, for me to judge whether you're likely to be a good partner, essentially? And the argument is that your voice, for whatever reason, for a male voice, whether it's because of increased testosterone levels or any other number of things, is indicative of you being essentially a good catch. Mm. And it turns out we can judge all sorts of things quite accurately from a voice. So people are good at judging a person's height, 
from just listening to their voice. People can judge a person's age just by listening to their voice. And women can judge a man's upper body strength just by listening to his voice. Oh, wow. Quite accurately. And the argument is that there were, you know, there would have been an evolutionary advantage for judging a male's fighting capacity so if just by hearing his like voice. Like to make some assessments of my upper body yes. strength. <laughs> call up like now. Yeah, call cool. We did right it. Now. We did it within the first thirty milliseconds of meeting you, Jeff. So. <laughs> but interesting, it also works the other way round that both men and women can pick when a female, when a woman is most fertile by her voice. Oh. So our my voices God. change according to our menstrual cycle. How is that even like I just can't believe that. Well I think it's hormonal I think there's all sorts of things going on but the argument is that, yeah, our voices are really quite honest indicators of a whole lot of things. So they went into a hunter-gatherer society in Tanzania and looked at the pitch of male voices versus how many children they'd had and the men with deeper voices, yeah, they were the ones who'd had the most children. So this could be particularly advantageous for, say, politicians to uh, to have this information. And I found yep. it interesting that you said that slower voices are less trusted or do we consider them less intelligent? Because there yep. seems to be a trend in politics at the moment for our leaders to really slow down mm. their words. So what? where has that come from? Yeah, that's it's true. The, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's slightly different with politicians where presumably they're trying to get their message across. But this is big business in politics. So there's been lots of studies that have, again, recorded a voice. So they did one where they got both men and women to say, I urge for you to vote for me in November. And then they played with it. So they made it higher pitched or lower pitched than the original. And absolutely consistently, if people are asked, who would you vote for? They pick the lower pitched voice, whether it's a man or a woman. So we like men and women with deep voices. We think they're more authoritative, more powerful, likely to be more trustworthy. And Margaret Thatcher knew this. So in her early days, Margaret Thatcher had quite a shrill, high-pitched voice, which people made all sorts of derogatory comments about. And she was advised, this is going to be a problem for you. You're not going to get far in politics unless you fix this. So she went to the um, Royal Theatre and did a whole lot of training. And you can see videos of before and after. And her voice becomes significantly deeper more powerful, slower, more measured. There's a video I've linked to on the blog where you can watch it and it's like, whoa, her voice has totally changed. So how much can one fake these things if people are judging you on your voice, how much can you change the, the the signals that you're giving? I think if you concentrate really hard, you can probably change it a bit, but there's been all sorts of interesting studies where they've put people in positions where they either feel they are dominant or subordinate to other people and asked to speak about themselves and complete, completely subconsciously people's, the pitch of people's voices is either going up or down um, relevant to how dominant they feel themselves to be in that social situation. So I guess, I don't know, how much, you know, right now, could you guys spend all, you know, the whole time you're on air concentrating on the pitch of your voice? <laughs> no. Let me try. <laughs> but I don't know, you think of those old BBC reporters where they all had to take on that sort of Oxbridge, you know, that, that yeah. classic BBC angle. I guess that was something that you learned. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you listen to, to newsreaders on you know, various different stations, which we, we don't need to name, you know, they're absolutely trained to have very, um, well, you guys know what it sounds like. It is. It's very authoritative. It's powerful. It's quite measured. It's a very different way of speaking to normal. Um, but as to how much we could actually control it in normal day-to-day -day life, I don't know. I think a lot of it's just subconscious, but we have to be aware that people are judging you based on how you sound. 
I think we'll just have a silent radio show. <laughs> um, no, I'm so concerned about this. It's interesting too because I think of um, uh, kind of parodies of politicians in recent times too. When you think of people, we've had politicians with really distinct voices, Tony Abbott and that... Mm. And Julie Gillard and even yeah. Rudd, the way he pronounced things, and Howard. And I always found it interesting that both Howard and Abbott had any popularity whatsoever as well with their voices because Howard had this... John Howard's voice was really yeah. kind of like going all the way back to Bob Hawke who had that really mm. distinctly absolutely although perhaps that worked in his favour because it was a bit more all okay, Australian so. yeah and that kind of awkward but no sound. I was just, just thinking that too it's hard to think of any politicians who have a kind of a lovely, Shakespearean stentorian yeah. bellowing voice and I think uh, I think it does go beyond pitch I mean pitch is, is a very simplistic way of saying you know deeper voice and we know that I should have said this as well men with deeper voices tend to make more money tend to stay in you know top jobs for longer that sort of stuff but so pitch is one very basic level, but I think there's there's other more complex things. And there's a, um, a page I linked to on the blog where they play classic examples of this is a trustworthy male voice, this is an untrustworthy male voice, this is a dominant female voice. You could listen to these voices wow. and it's really hard. Like I agreed with what all these other people in these studies said about, yes, I agree that sounds trustworthy, but it's really hard to pinpoint why. There's stuff we're tuned into that we it's quite hard to verbalise. Does volume play a part in it? Yeah, volume does. So you know how you said you were surprised that people who spoke slower were considered to be less intelligent, whatever it was. It turns out that having more range in your volume is a good thing and potentially speaking louder some of the time is a good thing. Mm. And it also depends on familiarity. One of the arguments as to why we love someone like Morgan Freeman's voice so much is just because now it's so familiar to us and we're very good at tuning into into voices that we know. There was this awesome study that showed that, you know, domestic deafness is a real thing. You are very good at hearing your spouse's voice above and beyond other voices around you, but equally you can tune out to that voice more easily than any other voice so you can hear other stuff that you might be more interested <laughs> in. TV. Yeah, I'm aware of that. <laughs> All right. Um, as you mentioned, there's more info up on the Espresso Science blog and we'll post a link out to that. Fascinating stuff as always, Dr Jen. We will see you in a week's time. Thanks so much for coming. See you then. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.